I just am so thankful for all of you joining tonight. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to be with you. And I know that taking time away from your families and your busy lives to come and listen to this course is um, a sacrifice on your part. And I think that it will not return void to you. I think you will glean much information from this course and uh, it's going to be a really uh, wonderful time these next 16 weeks. And so I'm mostly just thankful that you're here and also very excited for our time together. Um, I did want to go ahead and let you know that this seminar is four, um, four seminars in the series. There are four separate books. And if you haven't gotten your books yet, I would encourage you to do so. You certainly do not have to, but we have them online at the Moms for America website. They are um, $20 each, or um, you can buy them as a, as a set for $60 and get a little break on the price. Um, but they are so valuable. They are chock full of information, and I certainly am not going to be able to cover all of it in the short time that I have with you each week. So it would really benefit you to get these books and to study them on your own, to make notes as you go through. And honestly, there's so much here that you could take this course once a year and still get something from it. I've been through maybe three or four times. And just in the beginning, it's like drinking from a water hose. There's just so much information and it's a little overwhelming to be honest, but um, I'll try to break it down for you and make it um, you know, as, as simple as I can as we go through. But I do recommend you getting those books to help you um, to understand and to, to really lock in the information into your mind and to be able to go back and reference it as time goes by. Um, I, I want to say that, you know, we're all here tonight because we love America first. We love our families. Most of us love God. And if you don't, I hope that you will by the time that this course is over. Um, and we are very concerned with the direction that our nation is headed. And that uh, has been the case for quite some time. But I think that we've seen it really coming to kind of a crescendo here. And we all sort of sense that something's not right. And perhaps something will happen any day now. We don't know. Um, but we do know that we can have hope and faith in God, that we can anchor ourselves in hope. And so that's what we're going to try to do through this course to encourage you and to um, empower you to teach your children, to raise the next generation of patriots, to fight back against the lies and the chaos and the confusion that the devil is wreaking on our nation right now and on our youth especially. And so I really hope that um, this time will be encouraging because we need to be realists, but we don't need to be pessimists. And so there will be some times, especially in the third seminar, where we talk about the attacks on our Charter of Freedom, where it will be a little tough to hear and a little tough to, to swallow. But I want you to, to keep your eyes focused on the hope aspect, because at the end of this, in seminar four, we will be talking about solutions. And that's the wonderful thing about Moms for America, where we believe in empowering moms and promoting liberty from home and raising the next generation of patriots. We also have solutions. We have ideas, things that we can do to help make a difference in our nation. And so uh, as we go through today, please um, keep that in mind. If we could see the first slide, ladies. So this is God's Hand in the Building of America. This is our first seminar book. And our first session within the book is events and people who prepared the way for freedom. So that will be our first lesson tonight. You can go ahead and um, put up that next slide for me, please. 
Um, so I'm Tyler Ota. I'm the Moms for America Virginia State Liaison, and there's my information below if you'd like to reach me. And uh, I am really looking forward to this, this series. We're going to be going all the way until May. So it's going to be 16 weeks and 8 p.m. right here next week as well. Um, and then I'd like to introduce my family, if I can see that next slide. This is my family, my cutie patootie kiddos and my wonderful husband. And they are the pride and joy of my life and everything I do, I do for them. And the reason why I got involved with Monster America was because of my children and wanting to help them have a free and uh, a free America to grow up in. And I didn't want to face them someday and say that I didn't do what I could to give them that. Um, so that's that. And if you could hit the next slide for me as well. So these are our four books um, that I mentioned. The first is God's Hand in the Building of America. The next is the Founders Charter of Freedom, Attacks on the Charter of Freedom, and Restoring the Charter of Freedom. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to share with you, too, is um, Cleon Skousen, who wrote this, this whole seminar series. He was a, a chief of police, worked for the FBI. He was an attorney. He was um, close with Ronald Reagan. In fact, there's a, a room, I think, in the library, uh, Ronald Reagan Library, that is named after him. And he's written many bestsellers, including this seminar. And um, he said, I'm not pessimistic about the future. I think the soul of America is going to be cleansed by events which will humble the whole nation and put us back on our knees where we can talk to God and recommit ourselves to lives of, of virtue and morality. I am a great believer in the promise of God, which appears in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And I love this verse, and probably a lot of you are familiar with it as well. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, which is us as believers, as Christians, uh, shall humble themselves, number one, two, pray, and three, seek my face, and four, maybe most importantly, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And so this is something that all of us need to be doing, and we do that in our own homes. We, we think about maybe what we uh, maybe even what we haven't done, right? So maybe some of our wicked ways are our apathy or our inaction or not maybe doing the best things that we should be doing with the time that God has given us. So it doesn't have to be outright sin, but maybe there are some things that we need to be adjusting in our own minds, our own hearts, and our own families. Um, so again, he says, every family needs to do whatever it can to put its house in order. A home can be a refuge against this coming storm. Uh, moms, we can raise our godly patriots for such a time as this. Strong families make strong societies. And so if we work on our families, we will strengthen our nation. And uh, Dr. Skousen also said, how can you be, many people asked him, how can you be so optimistic when you know from your own experience how serious things are? And he answers and says, my answer is rather simple. I tell them I have read the book and in the end we win. And I agree with Dr. Skousen because 
we know that God wins in the end. And so we are on the right side if we are on his side. And so we need to be making sure that we are on his side. And that doesn't mean that we just sit and wait for him to come back, but that we take action now and that we are obedient to him now while we are alive and living in the greatest nation that ever was or ever will be. So again, that first seminar, we're talking about the founding fathers and how they were truly inspired by God. And we see God's hand and indeed it was settling and building this great land. And then we see how the Lord graduated the founders from his very unique University of Hard Knocks. And they had very tough times that they went through, but they persevered. And um, oh yes, let's see maybe the next slide. Oh, yes. Okay. We'll get there in a second. Um, so we know that the uh, all Americans need to appreciate that the God of heaven did not establish the first free people in modern times just to see it collapse into oblivion. Because with the Lord, there is a spirit of liberty. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we have to have freedom to be able to worship God. And that is why these two things go hand in hand, the gospel of freedom and the gospel of of uh, of jesus christ and so we uh we must save our country and it must be saved by individuals who take the time and energy to find out about the founding fathers principles of freedom and the work diligently to see that they are restored and implemented in the second seminar the charter of freedom we will study the entire constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers and so that is a very overwhelming task, but I will try to break that down into um, easy to digest uh, information and kind of main overview points, points that are most important to moms and families. And we will see that, you know, it'll become evident that the constitution as written uh, and, and as intended by the founders is as appropriate and relevant today as it was when it was first written. And that's because they understood human nature and human nature doesn't change. So it is timeless. And you hear a lot of, a lot of talk nowadays about, oh, it's an outdated document and, oh, it's, it's living and changing and it changes with time. And, well, no, actually it was written for the human nature and the founders understood what that was and they wrote it for, for human nature. And it's the same today as it was then. So uh, anyway, the, the Constitution pr produces a truly free people who are able to achieve uh, all that mankind is seeking, freedom, prosperity, and peace. And in the third seminar, we'll talk about the attacks on the Charter of Freedom. So in this, in this third seminar, it will be a little tough to go through, I have to say, but um, we're going to learn about the people, the organizations, and the groups that have been using their time, resources, and and talents really to change the direction of America in order to serve their special interests and how this emotionalism and private interests have really affected the way that things are. So this will be quite an eye opener for you and we'll see just how far we've allowed uh, destructive paths to take us towards socialism and communism as well. Uh, in the fourth seminar, we will have uh, once you have that knowledge and confidence that God's hand has been in the founding of America and the establishment of the Constitution, coupling that with a knowledge of the Constitution itself, 
Each of us will have a desire to know how the Constitution can be restored to its proper place in government, and we'll learn how to heal the Supreme Court, the Congress, the executive branch, our educational system, the nation's finances, and all the other major challenges that are facing America today. And so two, two centuries ago, during that formative period, the American founding fathers became acutely aware that all mankind is seeking freedom, prosperity, and peace. And that, that will be, um, this is their story. You know, it was, it was fortunate that they were able to build upon the sacrifices and hardships of those who had come before them. And we'll talk a little bit about that tonight, kind of the setup in history of all the things that came into place to allow this new nation to be born. And so as we go through this book, I wanna let you know that there are blanks in the workbook. And so your homework will be to review uh, the lesson from today, read, read the lesson and fill in the blanks, and then to also go ahead and read for, for next week. So a little bit of homework for you, but there's just no way for me to go through and make sure that everybody has every blank along the way. So the best thing to do is head to the back of your workbook and fill those out on your own as a review. And now we can go to the next slide, please. So again, we want to empower you, we want to encourage you, and we want to promote liberty and raise the next generation of patriots. So we're gonna remind you to stay anchored in hope by looking to God, not the government. So that means we have to stay close to God. We have to be in the word, we have to be praying, we have to be worshiping, and we should be asking him and seeking him. Lord, what should I do? Lord, how can I solve this? Lord, how can I be of service to my community? Lord, what would you like me to do today? Who can I help? What can I do differently in my marriage and my family and my home? What is it, Lord? And if you seek him and seek his face, he will be faithful to answer you. And you will suddenly, things will start clearing up and you'll have solutions in front of you that are, are of him. Um, and we don't want to be looking to the government for a handout, or for a program, or for some quick and easy fix that doesn't really solve the root of the problem, which is in most of the time within the human heart. Um, next, we're gonna prioritize family time. So I know you're taking time probably away from your families right now. Um, that will be returned by taking this information to them. So sharing your information, sharing what you learn, sharing your values, sharing your faith with them, talking to them, spending quality time, eating dinner together. What a powerful time to put the phones away and sit down at a table and break bread together and to talk to one another and, and show that you love each other and care for each other. It just strengthens those bonds so much, especially when you have maybe tumultuous years with teenagers or, or maybe some cranky toddlers like I do sometimes. That time is just such a bonding time that will um, be so, so good for your family in the long run. Next, we're gonna study the Constitution from the viewpoint of the Founding Fathers. So we're gonna do that in this class. So I'm proud of you because you're already like got two things checked off of your list right now. Um, but we're going to study the Constitution from the viewpoint of the Founders. And that's something that we have to do continuously. So a lot of times I tell people, put your Constitution in with your Bible. You know, if you have one of those little Bible cases or, or somewhere where you keep your Bible. Put your constitution in there, and when you're doing your study, just go ahead and open up your constitution and just look at it and read it and study it, because that's what we need to do. Back in the old days, when the constitution first came out, everyone in America knew what it said. Even the children could tell you what it said. And now in America, I don't think many people know what it says. 
I have to be honest, I've been studying it and I still don't fully know all of it. So we really do have to study it as much as we study the Bible. And next we need to do something. So again, asking God, what would you have me do with this information, Lord? What, what is it that I can, that I can contribute? You know, we can't all do everything. We can't all be, you know, the answers to all the problems, but we can all do something. And so whether it is just staying at home and being a great mom and raising your kids the right way, or whether it's, you know, getting involved by running for office or whether it's writing letters to your legislators or whether it's making sure that you vote even in the local elections or maybe volunteering in your community, whatever it is, be sure to go and do something, especially after you learn all this information that we're gonna teach you in this course, you're going to feel inspired and something will probably come to you along the way that says, oh, I can, I can go and do that. And it's amazing. The women that I have been, uh, been with through my time with Moms for America, I have seen a plethora of ideas that I would have never even imagined people are coming up with. I had uh, one lady, she decided to do a, a course in a public school and they let her teach a course. I think it was about abstinence or something with virtue. And then someone else was um, putting flags, taking flags around to their neighbors when they moved in, introducing themselves and putting, you know, giving them American flags. So there's all kinds of things that will come to you um, throughout this, this course. So with all that introduction, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with our lesson tonight. Again, this is the Healing of America Seminar 1, Session 1. And it's called Events and People Who Prepared the Way for Freedom. So we'll go ahead and get that first slide. There we go. So we start with the Crusades in 1100 AD. Now, obviously, this is 1100 years after Christ. And so Christianity maybe took a turn for the worse at this time. But we this just goes to prove that we are sinful. Even the Christians sometimes take it the wrong way, go the wrong way with it. Um, and they did after about a 300 year crusade of trying to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims, they eventually did fail. But during this time, they did contact Mediterranean peoples and especially the Arabs, where they were introduced to uh, luxuries of the Far East, like spices and rugs and jewelry, perfumes and silks and all these things that the Europeans really wanted. And so at first they were purchasing these things through the Arab merchants that were controlling the trade routes, both by land and sea. But then eventually they figured out that it would be cheaper for them to just go ahead and make contact with these um, Asian Middle Eastern uh, you know, uh, directly. And so what they did was they started exploring and they started trying to you know, find their own ways to get to these places. And during this time, Marco Polo accompanied his father to China uh, in the year AD 1271. He was only 17 when he left and he did not return for 20 years. And I'm not sure if he always lived in Venice or not, but he did have a home in Venice, Italy, which I remember seeing when I went there um, many years ago. Uh, his description of the fabulous riches of China made many Europeans anxious to establish these new trade routes to the Far East, either by land or sea. And he wrote a book called The Marvels of the World. And wouldn't you know that later on, Christopher Columbus would read that book and be very inspired 
to travel and to look for, for other lands himself. So meanwhile, while all this other exploration is taking place, freedom is also trying to take root because there's a lot of tyranny. They're, they just got out of crusades, for crying out loud. There's slavery. There's all these things going on in the world. And so people are starting to think, you know, maybe we should be looking for some freedom around here. So the English were just about the only Europeans who fought to preserve the basic institutes of uh, the Anglo-Saxon culture under people's law. And uh, this is a great book here. This is uh, The 5,000 Year Leap. And it talks about the miracle that changed the world and how America started out, you know, horse and plow and within 200 years we were in space, right? So this uh, book on page, uh, let's see, I think it's 13, talks about people's law and it says, they consider themselves a commonwealth of free men. The decisions and selection of the leaders were by the consent of the people, uh, preferably by a full consensus, not just a majority. Uh, they believed in natural laws given by divine dispensation. The powers dis dispersed among the people and never allowed to concentrate in one person or one group. So even in a time of war, the authority that was granted to the leaders was temporary. Uh, primary responsibility for resolving problems rested with the, first of all, with the individual, then to the family, then to the tribe, then to the region, and then to the nation. They were also organized into small manageable groups. So tens, fifties, hundreds, and then thousands. And they believed that the rights of the individual were considered unalienable and could not be violated without risking the wrath of divine justice as well as civil retribution by the people's judges. And then they also had a system of justice that was structured on the basis of severe punishment unless there was complete reparation to the, the injured parties. So if those things sound familiar to you, it's because a lot of those things made their way into our law as well. And so those were brought over by uh, Heingeist and Horsa in, uh, let's see, it would have been 450 AD, I believe. Yeah, around 450 AD. And so they brought that people's law with them. And then the conquest of England in 1066 by the Vikings and who were Normans brought three elements of government to England, the feudal law, the Roman civil law, and canon law, which is, you know, ruled by the church. All of these included elements of ruler's law, which then corrupted that Anglo-Saxon system that had been planted. So by 1215, oppressive policies of the Normans had become so intolerable that they eventually uh, rebelled against King John and compelled him to sign the Magna Carta. So even our founders would eventually use some of the Magna Carta in, in uh, their ideas for our constitution. So then we move on to the early 1400s. And a little girl by the name of Joan of Arc was born on January 6, 1412 in Dom Remy, France, which is in Champagne, France. And she was born to a poor family. They weren't needy, but you know, they were farmers, a farmer family. And she was a singularly pious child, grave beyond her years and was often found in her church praying. And she loved the poor and was just this obviously very sweet and virtuous child. But at the age of 13 and a half in the summer of 1425, 
she first started becoming conscious of these uh, voices. And at first it was just voices that she was hearing, but over time, the uh, voices were accompanied by a blaze of light. And she discerned somewhere along the way that St. Michael and other angels, St. Margaret and St. Catherine and others were speaking to her. And so she's at first, of course, confused by this, but they continued speaking to her. And gradually uh, she no longer doubts that she is supposed to go and help her king. So uh, the, the dolphin, the prince who was to be crowned was, had been in hiding and um, she, she uh, goes to present herself to Robert Baudricourt who commanded for Charles VII, who was, who was the dolphin. And he basically laughs her off and is like, you know, get out of here, little girl. And he tells her cousin who brought her to take her home and give her a good whipping. So she goes back home and uh, she predicted to him, you're gonna lose your next battle. Well, sure enough, the situation is growing more desperate. And so she gets an urgent message from her voices to go back to him again. And so she goes back, even though she's saying, I'm just a little girl, I'm a poor girl, I don't know how to ride, I don't know how to fight. But these voices are saying, it is God who commands it. So finally she leaves for Do she leaves Don Remy and she again visits Robert Baudricourt's uh, village. And she finally is able to go and visit the king. And she made sure that she wore male attire because she was being escorted very uh, uh you know, lightly with, you know, only a few people attending her and she wanted to maintain her modesty and her virtue going through these, you know, being with these men in these camps and all these things. So she always even slept fully dressed, was very concerned with her, uh, with her modesty and her virtue. But she finally seeks the king at Chinon and she is taken uh, in to, to the room where he is. And they had uh, on purpose disguised him because they were all kind of thinking, maybe this lady is just crazy. Uh, let's like see what she can really do here. So he hides himself in the crowd and she goes right up to him and without hesitation and she salutes him and uh, she gives him a sign, a secret sign that she communicates to him uh, that apparently her voice had, voices had also uh, given her to instruct him. And uh, some believe that she repeated his prayer from the night before, uh, but he he finally has to say okay i'll give you you know a horse and some some men because you clearly are you know something is going on here so she is going to be employed in military operations and uh they give her they want to make her a sword they want to give her a sword but instead of the one that they were going to give her she tells them that there's a sword that's buried behind the altar in the chapel of saint catherine and so they're like, okay, so they go and they find this sword. And so no one really knows like where it came from or even where it is today, but this was, you know, what happened. So then at the same time, they made a standard for her. And that was the, the slide that we just saw. There was a, a standard, a flag that had the words, Jesus Maria, with a picture of God, the father and kneeling angels. And it presented the French symbol, the, the fleur de lis, which means the flower of light. So there she is holding her standard and, you know, it kind of encourages us that we have a, a, have a standard that we must uphold. And she, you know, apparently was very fond of this thing and took it with her everywhere. She even held it at the, at the eventual coronation of 
of Charles. And um, she had said, uh, it has shared with me in the toil and it was just that it should share in the victory. And so kind of a reminder to us to hold our standards high, right? Even in this world that we're battling and, and fighting for freedom and, and for truth and for to maintain liberty, we have to keep holding our standards high, even though society may, may laugh at us and culture may not understand why we why we live differently but we we have to hold our standard high she also instituted a code of conduct um which 300 years later interestingly george washington would instill that same military code of conduct but a lot of times during these wars there would be women prostitutes that would come along with the soldiers to uh, accommodate them in the evenings and she told these women you will leave now or you will be killed and she told the men, if you're going to do this, you will be, you know, you'll be kicked out. And so she was having none of it. And she was reminding them that we are being called here by God and we have to live, you know, according to that standard. And so she, she, she cleaned that place up real quick. She also interestingly led from the front. So at this time in history, the leaders would stand behind the troops, you know, they would make those formation lines, uh, you know, line, 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 and and the leader would usually typically stand in the back and direct everyone forward. But she actually was leading from the front and people mocked her and said, no one's going to follow you if you do it that way. And she said, I will not be looking back. And so another reminder to us too, to, to press on and press forward and do what we know is right, regardless of what what other voices may be telling us to do, um, or, or, or any pushback that we may get, we have to follow what we know that God wants us to do and what's right. So after she gets him, uh, she wins, you know, Orleans, she wins Reims, she wins Troy. I might be saying those cities wrong. I apologize if I am. Uh, she wins these cities and she thinks that her mission is done, right? She's like, okay, I got the king crowned. We're good. Um, but they wanted her to stay because they needed help with the city of Burgundy. And it was during one of these, uh, you know, battles during uh, fighting for Burgundy that she was actually captured and became a prisoner. And later she was sold by John to the English for a very, very large sum uh, because they were partly afraid of her. Um, this, you know, the superstitious terror, like who is this woman that's, you know, won all these battles and, and done so much. And they couldn't put her to death for, having beaten them, but they could get her sentenced as a witch and a heretic. And so they kind of pushed her off to the English and her first trial took place on uh, February 21st, 1431. And she appeared before the judges and she always said, she never denied her voices and, or you know seeing these angels. And she said, I saw them with these very eyes as well as I see you. And so they put her eventually on the stake, as I'm sure many of you remember the tale. And her demeanor at the stake was such to even move her bitterest enemies to tears because she asked for a cross. She had changed into uh, a white robe and she called continuously upon the name of Jesus until the very end. And um, she had always said, that the voices came from God and had not deceived her. And so after her death, her ashes were thrown into the river scene so that she would never um, have a, an honored grave. But only 24 years later in 1455 AD, a revision of her trial was held 
and there was a rehabilitation process open with the Pope. And, uh, you know, the sentiment was different then after, after her death. And so eventually she did become a, a saint officially with the church. And she is now, of course, a very well-known and beloved painter and saint of France. Uh, so this little video here is uh, a free video. It's a movie, actually, and so a great one to check out with your family and talks, you know, more about the tale and is a wonderful kind of documentary style uh, film. I also wanted to share this little book with you that I picked up for my kiddos. This is called Courageous World Changers, 50 True Stories of Daring Women of God, and Joan of Arc is listed in this book. And then there's also a, a boy version, so 50 True Stories of Daring Men of God, and I got them both, and uh, they just are such great little stories, and I'll show you one page. So it's just the story on one side and the picture of the person on the other side, but a great little teaching tool for your kiddos, so I thought I'd share that one with you. Um, so next, we're moving on, and Columbus now is coming into the picture. And, oh wait, I may have another slide here. Oh no, it's Columbus, okay. So Columbus is now coming into the picture um, in 1436. And he was, he was born in 1436 to a father who was a woolcomber. He lived in Genoa, Italy. He didn't have much education, but even from a very young age, he knew that he wanted to be a sailor. And so he began to study geography and navigation and he went to sea at age 14. Um, and was traveling and, and learning how to be a, a sailor. And this almost infant desire to be a sailor partnered with the, the truth of the Bible had given him this confidence to pursue the dream, to find other lands. And he even got this from the Bible where in the book of John, it talks about there are other sheep not of this fold. And so he uh, goes to Portugal for assistance to get the money to have ships and men to go and explore. Portugal turns him down. He asks his own country of Italy and they turned him down, but he perseveres and he goes to seek Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain. And he was literally begging bread in front of a convent gate for him and his son, Diego. And the person that received him, who I presume is a monk, uh, heard his story and eventually through a series of events he obtains audience with the archbishop of spain who arranges for him to see the king and queen and to receive them and to receive him and so they say yes they are inspired by his his uh excitement to go and see these other lands and at first he's kind of telling them you know marco polo i'd like to go and see china and there's you know all these great luxury items we could we could find and that's kind of how he sells it to them, even though he's still looking for these people, uh, the other sheep, not of this fold, so that the, the gospel can be proliferated. So he kind of had two goals to be going and traveling. And he this is evidenced by the fact that he insisted on having an interpreter with him who could speak Hebrew rather than Chinese or Japanese, because he was so sure that there were other biblical uh, uh, people somewhere else in the world. Uh, and so he goes uh, on these uh, adventure of sailing, and he set sail on August 3rd, 1492, and he had a somewhat discouraging trip, and his crew is becoming anxious and disorient, discontented, 
And uh, he says, happen what will, I am determined to persevere until by the blessing of God, I shall accomplish the enterprise. And then on October 12th, after 70 days of sailing, they landed in what he would call San Salvador, modern day Bahamas. And he, and he meets Indians and they communicate with him that there's other, you know, surrounding areas. And he ends up going on four uh, big trips and ex explorations and finding many places that, uh, you know, he's credited for finding. And when he comes back home to Isabel and Ferdinand, he says, uh, he, he says that he made the trip under the guidance of the Holy Ghost. And he says, I came to your majesty as the, to your majesty as the emissary of the Holy Ghost. It was the Lord who put into my mind, I could feel his hand upon me, the fact that it would be possible to sail from here to the Indies. And all who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me. And so I feel bad for poor Columbus because he, he lived a, a poor life and a very, uh, he didn't get credit for America because Amerigo Vespucci got credit for America. And then he also is now replaced even on Columbus Day by Indigenous Peoples Day. But most people don't know he actually helped the Caribbean to rid to he was a, a strong influence in getting rid of cannibalism in uh, in the Caribbean. And so if I can see the next slide. So these are a few more resources about him, um, the light and the glory and Christopher Columbus, uh, man or myth, man of myth or man of God. And then David Barton has a wonderful 45 minute video that you could just pop on while you're doing laundry or dishes or something. And then he talks about um, how Christopher Columbus put an end to that cannibalism in, uh, in the Caribbean. So the next time you're on vacation in the Bahamas, you can thank Columbus that you're not being gobbled up. <laughs> All right, so we'll go on and move on through to the next uh, portion here. I'm on section six, the Spanish undertake the conquest of the entire Western hemisphere. So. Here comes the Spanish, all right? And 1519, Hernando Cortez are taking over uh, the Aztecs in Mexico. 1531, Francisco Pizarro takes over the Incas in Peru. And then next slide, please. Juan, uh, Juan, Juan Ponce de Leon discovers Florida and Hernando de Soto discovers the Mississippi River. Meanwhile, Francisco uh, de Coronado explores the Southwest and his men actually discover the Grand Canyon. So obviously it was just a question of time now until the Spanish would be occupying the entire Western hemisphere. In the process, they established very harsh colonial administration under the ruler's law and uh, all the power was you know, invested in the, in the ruler. But suddenly the Spanish were stopped and guess who stopped them? the French. So thank you, Joan of Arc, for, for saving France, right? So just as the 1500s belonged to the Spanish, the 1600s really belonged to the French. And they began exploring North America as early as 1524 with, um, we had Jacques, Jacques Cartier in 1534, 1659, uh, they discover the Mississippi River and then uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And in 1718, the French found New Orleans at the mouth of Mississippi River. So the French established 80,000 settlers along those waterways that controlled the heartland of North America. And they made it possible for the 
for the made it impossible for the Spanish to proceed from pushing farther into North America. Thankfully, the Spanish were very busy collecting gold and silver and valuables in Mexico and South America. So they were kind of distracted and not too um, ambitious to be pushing into America anyway. But the French that were settling, they had no form of representative government. And they also ran themselves under a ruler's law, much like the Spanish system. But nevertheless, they created an impasse with the Spanish, which allowed that those English settlers nearly 3 million colonists on the eastern on the Atlantic seaboard by 1776. And so uh, they were able to come and bring that representative form of government, which we've been calling people's law, with them as they settled. Now we talk about starting to come into America with the English. And in 15, uh, let's see, 1585 and 1587, Sir Walter Raleigh had tried to start two colonies. Remember, one was starved out and the second one disappeared. And they believe that probably those people went with the Croatan Indians to a, a Cape Hatteras, I believe it was. Um, and then we had Edward, Edward Cook and uh, then King James in 1607 attempts to, you know, kind of head off the Spanish by uh, allowing a group of London businessmen to set up the colony in Virginia called Jamestown. And they thought that this colony would be more profitable if it was practicing secular communism, but that really didn't work. It led to starving time until they figured out that they needed to be uh, incentivized by working uh, for their own uh for their own benefits. And so Jamestown is near to my heart because I'm from Virginia and Jamestown is in uh, Southeast Virginia <clears throat> and it's in a little triangle. So there's uh, Williamsburg, Jamestown and Yorktown all together. So if you ever come to visit, you can hit all three in you know a couple of days and really get a, a really comprehensive uh, visit of, of Virginia history. So then in 1620, the pilgrims are trying to come to Northern Virginia but they land in Plymouth, which is now in Massachusetts, and they were also going to practice Christian communism. So instead of the secular communism, they thought, well, these people will be looking on their neighbors as brethren and they'll cooperate together. However, Governor Bradford wrote, it was a complete failure essentially. And so finally they assigned to every family a parcel of land. And then after one year under this procedure, the government was uh, the governor was able to write this had a very good success for it made all hands very industrious. So as much more corn was planted than, than otherwise would have been. So as, as they learned that, you know, that is the best way to ignite that ingenuity and that creativity and working for oneself. Um, it's quite the motivator, right? So uh, the next slide please was Plymouth and they are, coming to Plymouth as separatists or pilgrims because they wanted to separate themselves from that national church of England, which was the Anglican church. And then the Puritans came to Massachusetts Bay beginning in 1623. And they didn't want to separate from the church of England, but they wanted to purify it. And so thousands of people are coming to Massachusetts because of Charles the first, who's, um, you know, not giving them freedom to to worship outside of that Anglican church. 
And so between 16 and 28, or 1628 and 1640, there's this, you know, big influx of people. And so their first government was in Salem and then Charleston and then Boston, but they made the mistake of having the Puritan church running the affairs of the state. And so that drove from their midst any dissenting viewpoints like Anne Hutchinson, Roger Williams, and Thomas Hooker. And before we go to the next slide, I just want to point out real quickly that this statue here on the left is the... Um, monument to the forefathers so if you're familiar with kirk cameron he did a movie called monumental all about uh this statue and the meaning behind it and it's very interesting movie so you should certainly check that out if you, if you can but even more so go and visit if you can because this thing is huge you can't tell from this picture but it's enormous and um so i just wanted to highlight that for you um and you can go to the next slide which i believe is ann hutchinson and then Roger Williams and Thomas Hooker are after her, oh, the books. So Squanto, just in itself, is an incredible, miraculous story about how he, um, you know, helped these people. But first he was sold into slavery. It's almost like Joseph from the Bible. He, he was taken from his home in, uh, in Massachusetts, went to Spain, was sold, went to England, was there for another five years. So he was gone for a total of 10 years. He came back. And then these colonists come over and it's got to be the funniest thing because they see this Indian coming towards them and he says, good morning, how are you today? And they're like, we just came all the way from England to hear this Indian speak to us in English. Like, how is this even happening? It's, it's an incredible tale. And he helped them survive and he taught them how to do, um, you know, how to catch lobster and, and make corn and have crops and all these things. And so that's an incredible story and i love this version of it from eric metaxas and then patterns of liberty we actually sell that on the moms for america website it's got joan of arc and columbus and some other great tales in it as well so i recommend you check that out too but um thomas hooker reverend thomas hooker he was born uh he was born 500 years or wait 100 years before Thomas Jefferson was born, he gave a sermon announcing his uh, discovery of the ancient principles of government in, in the Bible. And so he ends up writing the first written constitution in America, and he's pulling it from Deuteronomy and Exodus and uh, other parts of the Bible as well. And then uh, all of these hard-won uh, rights of the English that we've you know talked about before, became part of the American heritage. So Americans owe a great debt of gratitude to all those Englishmen who were imprisoned and hanged and beheaded and tortured and burned at the stake and forced into exile. All these things that happened to them to, as they tried to reestablish those inalienable rights, which now today many of us just take for granted. But it should be noted that many people suffered and, and died trying to uh, to bring these things forth before even America was even a thought. Um, so moving on now, I think to the next slide. Oh, yeah, this is Anne Hutchinson. And then next is Thomas Hooker, I think. And yeah, and Roger Williams, and you can move on forward to the next one. So how the Bible and biblical morality became established in America the colonists that came to America, they came with a sense of divine destiny, sometimes called manifest destiny. And per Professor Conrad Cherry said that the manifest destiny is the belief that America had been providentially chosen for a special destiny 
uh, has de deep roots in the American in the America past and is by no means a belief that has been given up in this secular age. It is at the heart of the attempt of contemporary Americans to understand their nation's responsibility at home and abroad. And if I can have the next slide, please. So geographically, it was believed that the Commonwealth of Freedom would be encompassing the entire North American continent. Um, it's been, America was referred to as the promised land. It's been referred to as the light to the nations, a city on a hill. Um, it was believed that they would be reforming and restoring the church, allowing the true Christian religion to go forth. Deep sense of destiny and providence, divine election. Uh, they believed, uh, the founders believed they would be a blessing, it would be a blessing to themselves and the human race, uh, called a land of Joseph, which would feed millions of the world's starving people and a covenant with God to fulfill his mission. And then Bishop Berkeley, who UC Berkeley is named after, he was he, he talked about the fifth act. And so America was going to inaugurate a time of progress and prosperity, and it most certainly did. Um, if we can have the next slide, please. So John Adams uh, said, as he looked forward to the day, when the American empire would have a population between 200 and 300 million free men. And, you know, he's saying this back in his time when there was probably only, you know, three, three million people or whatever it was. And currently on July 1st of 2022, we have a population of 333 million plus. Now, whether or not that's counting the huge influx of illegal immigrants that have come in, in the last couple of years, I do not know, but that's what the internet told me today. <laughs> um, next, uh, John Adams said, I always consider the settlement of America with reverence and wonder as the opening of a grand scene and design and providence for the illumination of the ignorant and the emancipation of the slavish part of mankind all over the earth. And so uh, uh, American settlers consider themselves under a covenant with God to perform this great mission. And if I can see the next slide, please. <clears throat> I wanted to share with you about, uh, speaking of covenant, last year on April 26, there was a group that made this project called the First Landing 1607 Project, where they rededicated America back to God. And so something I didn't mention is that when the settlers were coming to Jamestown, they actually first landed at Cape Henry in Virginia Beach. And right now that area is on a military base but there is an easement where you can go and actually visit this site and it's so funny because there's hardly anything there not much mention of it at all it's not really a big tourist attraction not many people even know about it because jamestown was where they actually settled but they first came here to cape henry and the reverend robert hunt said we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us. And with these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land, along with England, be evangelists to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here. And may those who come here to inhabit join us in this covenant and in this most noble work that the Holy Scriptures may be fulfilled. And amen to that, my brother. But he put up this cross there 
at the first landing and you can still go there and see it, but you should kind of follow this first landing project because they're doing really great and exciting things. And the rededication was attended by David Barton and Glenn Beck and a few other prominent figures. And so uh, it's very exciting to see these types of things happening right now in this time in our nation when it's so critical that we stand up and have our kind of 1776 moment of rededicating this land to God and turning to him again, because at this point, it's pretty obvious that we're in a spiritual battle here. This is about right and wrong and truth and lies and evil and good. And it's very clear if you're paying attention that those are the two options. There's really not a gray anymore. And as uh, you know, evil just continues to rear its head, it's becoming more and more blatant and obvious. And the things that we've been seeing are just unbelievable, shocking things. And some people aren't even batting an eye. And so we really have to be waking up our friends and our neighbors, proclaiming liberty to them, sharing the truth with them. And obviously we need to be praying for our nation every single day. I know we are wrapping up here soon. So I wanna go ahead and, and finish up these last couple of slides for you real quick. Um, if I could get the next one. So here's a couple of Bible verses for you. Number one, stand, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Um, verse 13 of Galatians 5. For brethren, we ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but love serve one another. But by love serve one another. And the next one too is one of my favorites. It's so good. Now the spirit, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17, what a great verse. And if I can see that next slide as well. So the founders pointed to the many miracles that occurred during these miraculous times uh, in the 1700s as we were forming our nation. And one of the things that they pointed to was the miraculous hurricane, which came into 1746 while Boston was desperately praying and fasting that the almighty God would save them from a French fleet of 140 ships that had orders to burn every major city in on the American seaboard. And uh, this story is actually also shared in our cottage meetings, which I'll talk more about during these 16 weeks, but I just wanted to note that for you. And John Adams was actually in the church that day. And he said, that was the day I became a patriot. And that's even 30 or so years before we declared independence. But uh, the pastor prayed and all of a sudden these winds and storm came up and the French fleet was just demolished. And the admiral and the vice admiral both ended up committing suicide when they saw what was happening to their mighty armada. So it's an incredible story. Uh, that's the top left corner. Moms for America has a blog post about five miracles uh, from God that make, that helped to make America great. This book here by David Kubal, he wrote about inspired people and has many of the inspiring stories that led these people to the, to the times that they uh, were living. And then Seven Miracles That Saved America is another book that talks about, so, you know, some more of the miracles that happened along the way. So, I know we didn't get to cover a lot of those tonight, but if you'd like to learn more about those things, these are some great resources for you. And I think I have maybe one or two more slides. One more slide. Oh yes, so um, just another point of interest here 
if you go to the wall builders website and i do have the link that i can look up here while we're talking at the end of class but there are 33 pages long uh, uh quotes from the founding fathers talking about god talking about the miracles that happened during founding talking about prayer talking about their dependence on god their reverence for the bible and so on so when you hear people say oh, we weren't a Christian nation. We weren't founded as a Christian nation. These people were deists. They didn't really believe in God. They thought that God was a, a watchmaker who just wound us up and let us go. Um, it's really not true when you hear it from their own mouths, what they really said. And much of this has been cut out of our current history textbooks. Their quotes have been chopped up to cut all of the God references out. Um, but you can see here, this is a, a famous painting, the first prayer at Carpenter's Hall. And um, I think this was at the first Congress at Carpenter's Hall. But um, I just wanted to share that additional resource with you if you were looking for more validation that these men were very much believers in an almighty God that had helped them to come together at this time in history. And I think there's one more slide. Yes, so all of this to say, I hope that this has been encouraging and enlightening time for you. I hope you learned a lot. I know I've just been bombarding you with information and I apologize for that, but there's just so much to get through. Um, but just a reminder to look to God, not the government, prioritize your family, study the constitution and then do something. And the next do something that I want you to do is to reread this, to review your notes, and to fill in those blanks. And they say, if you do that within the first 24 hours after hearing it for the first time, it really helps to lock it in. Also, if you take notes in cursive, that also helps your brain to remember what you wrote and to kind of really absorb what you're, what you're writing. So I'm gonna turn the time back over to um, the ladies and they have some announcements, I'm sure. And then if you had any questions or comments, we can certainly have some time to address those.